Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning. I'm Karen. We're going to start off with our show notes as usual. We have our Evening with Medium events coming up in August on the 23rd and December on the 13th. Tickets are on sale at the website bysarlo.com, so don't miss out on those. We have a second podcast show called Sips of Sanity. It's a shorter version of Coffee with the Sarlows with a bit of a twist. It airs the first week of each month, Monday to Friday. They're 10-minute shows and we pick a topic on emotional or spiritual intelligence and we try to help you build your toolkit. We also have coffee mugs on sale at the website by sarlo.com. So while you're there checking out the podcasts and tickets for the shows, you can purchase a coffee mug if you'd like to. And last but not least, we have personal sessions and gift certificates available. You can purchase and receive sessions from anywhere in the world via Skype, FaceTime, or telephone. And most recently, Zoom. So stepping into today's show, Cal. On a Saturday morning recently, I had a phone call from a client. A woman, a female, older, I would say probably mid-60s to late-60s who was in an absolute panic, crying heavily on the phone, very distraught, barely could make out some of the things that she wanted. So, and I think you're going to hear that as we go through the session, it was really difficult for her to verbalize because she was that upset. And she kept saying things to me at the beginning, like, well, just tell me what you get. And I said, well, once I go through consent, I'll ask you again, if it's something that you want to start with, you're upset, there must be something on your mind to make you this upset. So I went through consent with her quickly. And I said, Cheryl, what would you like? Like, you're upset. So let's start with that first. No, I just I just want to see what you what you get first you go. I was bombarded there. And I said, Well, I said, I'm being told that it's medium. Is that correct? She goes, "Uh uh-huh. And I said, well, you have a lot of people who've crossed over. Yeah, yeah, but just whoever you get. And I said, so this is somebody that you want? Yeah, yeah. I said, okay. Well, there are six grandparents here. And she goes, oh, okay. And this, like, I'm thinking in my head, what is happening She's crying her eyes out. I can barely understand her, but she won't be specific. And so I'm thinking, okay, I guess I guess I have to be patient and try and figure this out with her. So I said, well, I have a bunch of dogs. You have a lot of dogs that have crossed. Yeah, that's true. I said, you have some cats and actually I get a couple of horses. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. And I said, do you want any of that group? Oh, wait a minute. I said, I've got parents that have crossed over. Yeah, yeah, that that's accurate as well. I said, well, Cheryl, like you have a shit ton of people and animals here. Yeah, but like, what do you get? Like, who's coming through here? Like that really wants to, you know, like, talk to me. And I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'm being told that you've got friends that have crossed over. And there's a man sitting in the corner, and he's holding his head in his hands. And he's got a gun in the other hand. But he's not really talking to me. He's just holding his head in his hands. And she goes, oh, oh, um, well, um, um, I'm just gonna let you go ahead. And I said, well, 
there are other people here who are friends who have crossed over as well, like from childhood. But mm, my curiosity is really piqued with the guy holding his own head. <laughs> and I said, so I don't know if this is who you want, but it's who I want. <laughs> so he's he's got my curiosity. I got to mosey on over to him and ask him what the hell is going on. And she goes, well, why, why, why don't you do that? So I waited for him to approach, but he wouldn't approach. And I'm thinking, holy shit, this is difficult. I, I'm curious on my own as a medium as to what the Excuse hell Excuse me, is. sir. <laughs> yes. Why are you holding your head in your hands and a gun in the other one? Like, I think, I think if I'm a really good detective, I think I know you blew your own head off, but I'm not positive. This could be military this could be murder. This yeah. could be a whole bunch of things, an accident. There's a number of things. So what's happening? But he won't talk to me. So I had to say, Cheryl, I think I'm going to go to your mother and ask her what's going on. Oh, well, I think I'd really like you to talk to the man with the gun. I said, well, too bad. Because you've not given me any direction. You've asked for nothing from the spirit world, except whatever I get. So if you're really going to throw it in my direction, I am going to take control because this isn't working for either one of us. So I went up to her mom and I said, are you okay to help me? Because I really would like to help your daughter, Cheryl. She's in agony over here. And I'm not certain how I'm supposed to be of service. And she looked at me and she said, I like what you said. You're direct. And I said, oh, good. Are you direct too? <laughs> she goes, yes. And I said, oh, good. Because I need some direction in the spirit world. I really feel like I'm getting messed up. So what's happening? I think that's a good point that, yeah. that people need to just hear before the conversation keeps going. Oh, yeah. Because holy crap, I'm just, I'm floundering. But people are also hearing a story where if you're not given direction, you wander in any way you want, and then you pick up what you want as a human in the spiritual realm. Then they're also hearing, hopefully, that it can still be difficult to communicate with people on the other side if they're staying in consistency with their qualities while they were here. So if he was a man who didn't talk or share, if he was someone who didn't really approach or was very private, like you have to connect with the right people still to, like you say, dig. And so we enter into this. And I want to point it out because some people sit there and go, and now what? And now what? And now what? And they don't understand that there's so many different kinds of process to actually uncovering the actual message. Mm -hmm. So I said to her mom, could you explain this? And she goes, I absolutely can. The guy in the corner is Josh. And I'm like, oh, okay. And some of them don't waste your time. Yeah. So I said, Cheryl, is the guy named Josh? And she goes, yeah. I said, okay, then give me a minute. I think I might, I might be in the right direction. So I said to her mom, could you sit down and talk to me about what the hell is going on? Because I'm getting nothing from Cheryl and nothing from Josh. And she goes, and that would be the whole fucking problem. Okay, go mom. And I'm like, oh, okay. So there is something 
to how this is actually playing out. Yes. I said, please explain this so that I can give it all to Cheryl because she's actually just testing me. And she goes, yes, she's actually just testing you. You've got it bang on. But she's also in tremendous pain. And I said, good enough. Let's do what we can for Cheryl. So I said, what happened? And she says, well, and so here's how the story goes. Josh and Cheryl are childhood friends. They've known each other for five decades, at least. Their parents are friends. And as they grow up, there are times right from the very beginning where Josh is a bully and is mean to Cheryl. Right from the time they're kids. But because it starts when they're kids and because the parents set it up to well, the families are friends, so you have to get over Josh being a bully and just get along with him. He continues the bullying. She has to figure out that she has to constantly forgive or she constantly has to just push it aside or she has to give in to him because the parents are dictating that the friendship is for the parents and they don't give a shit what's happening with the kids. It's like, you guys deal with that, your children work it out but they don't ever monitor it to actually see what's really transpiring on a week-to-week, year-to-year, decade-to-decade basis for Josh and Cheryl. So now we step into teen years where there's a little bit of attraction between the two of them and he plays mind games with her. So he leads her on, but then as soon as she thinks, oh, he likes me, he dates another girl. Or he makes sure that he has sex with another girl and lets her know. So this starts right from this period of time. So first in childhood, then it changes and it gets very confusing as they're both starting to try to figure out their sexuality, what they're attracted to, how you're supposed to be treated in relationships. And remember now, by the time she's 16, this has been going on for a decade. Kelly... Do you see the light flickering on and off as mm-hmm. we're talking? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Above my right shoulder. Not yeah. crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, well, I guess like a lot of teenagers, drinking starts. Recreational drugs start. and Both of them get into it. And so sometimes there's sex between the two of them. Sometimes he goes off and he has sex with another person. She feels still that there's more to the relationship. So she starts the pattern of waiting for him. And it gets messy. It gets worse because as they go into their 20s and now they're going into university, they split. So they go to two different cities. They go to two different universities. They both get educated. They both get jobs. They move on again to other cities. But the friendship is talking over the phone together, seeing each other at family events, funerals, weddings. And it's a bumpy relationship of literally bumping into each other. And when you bump into each other, you drink. When you bump into each other at any of these events, whether it's a barbecue, it's Christmas, it's a nice sunny summer day, there's a drink. And then there's another one. And so over the decades... They both become alcoholics. They both go on into other relationships. 
But she continues the pattern of thinking, is there something really there? Is it ever going to really work out? Are we ever really going to get together? But she meets really nice men who care for her, who are really kind and decent people that she could really have wonderful relationships with. And just as soon as she really gets settled into one of those relationships where she thinks, I really have something special with this person, Josh arrives back. Just enough to make sure that he messes something up for her. Where he either bashes these men, where he says something about them so that she has to second guess their motives, but for whatever reason, he likes to just come in, disturb it enough, whether it's sexually, whether it's to drink again, to go back to doing some drugs again, or just messing up her head. And in the meantime, and in his own world, he's moving on in other relationships. But when she speaks about, well, what's up with you, Josh? He doesn't ever say, I'm seeing somebody. He doesn't ever say, I got married. He doesn't ever say, I have kids. He does the ultimate job of making sure that if she tries to delve into his life, he gives her a story of, well, I'm busy and he's evasive or he makes things up. So he lies. Does he give a perception of being available somewhat? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that she kind of wonders if that door is always open? Absolutely. And so she can want to end up being with one of these men that are healthier, that love her, that actually are saying, hey, how about Alcoholics Anonymous? How about working through some of this stuff? How about some therapy? Why don't you and I go on a retreat? Why don't we do something? It's like every time she gets even down the road, she goes to therapy for four or five years. She lives with one of these men. He comes along to drop the bomb in it again. And so it works. She ends up going back to the drinking with him. She ends up sabotaging the relationships. And this literally goes on for her whole life. He never lets her really set a boundary. So if she says, you know, I'm done, and she calls it quits. So she stops, she gets into a relationship with a person that she cares about. It could go on for four or five years, and they don't talk. So her mom says to me, so there are periods of time, Karen, where they didn't talk for like five, six years. Then all of a sudden, his name would pop into a conversation randomly again, and he's back. But as he's back, that's when I always knew that the relationship she was in was going to end. The drinking would start, uh, the job would change, or she'd lose the job, or she'd be asking for money for a loan. And I said, money for a loan? For what? And her mom says, for Josh. So I said, so she's looking to borrow money from her own family to help him get out of financial debt? But does she know why he's in the debt? No, he won't tell her. He just needs money. So 
do people actually lend her the money to give to him? Yes, and he burns bridges. He doesn't pay it back. So then she has to be able to say to other people, but he's not paying me back. I don't, I don't know where to get the money to give you the money. So he also burns his own bridges and she burns the bridges in his, how do you say that? In his defense. So she continues to actually really destroy even good relationships in her own life by lying to people so that she can help him. Isn't that messed? So I said, okay. I said, I'll start with that and I'll ask her if that's what this is all about. So he's got his head in his hands. Did he kill himself? Because I'm thinking suicide. And am I right about that? Because I see my suicide guide standing with him. I need to know if I'm right. And she goes, oh, you are right. And I said, he has a gun. So he shot himself. And she goes, walk over and take a closer look. He did a real number on himself. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I walk over to him. Oh, okay. You just walked over and looked at it? I did. Okay. And and I know that, but I'm illustrating it because people get into our chair and want to know these things and don't necessarily think that we voluntarily walk over and examine what the body has been through. Oh, well, we also feel it. I know, but I'm illustrating it so that they can understand that when they want something so badly from us, what it actually means they're asking of us. Right. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Because I don't think there are too many people on this earth who would voluntarily walk over to a dead body and examine what exactly happened Mm. just in order to offer another person comfort. And affirmations. Mm -hmm. Because the human, the client, wants to know what we know Mm -hmm. and they're looking to see what kind of detail you know and I know that I know you know that too so I walked over to him and Josh is still sitting and he's shot himself several times I'm blown away that he's shot himself several times I'm thinking if I shot myself once I'd be in so much pain and crying and whining and I wouldn't be able to shoot myself a second time. So I looked at him. I said, Josh, you, you shot yourself more than once. How did you manage to do this? I'm in a rage. And that's the first thing I hear out of Josh. I'm in a rage. And I said, oh, is that why you're so quiet? And he says, no, we weren't talking. No, that's much. why I'm dead. Yeah. Okay. And I said, is that why you're sitting with your head in your hands? He goes, well, he goes, I shot myself a couple of times in my feet. He says, and then I shot myself in the head. Hmm. And he says, I'm holding my head in my hands because I was so angry. I was beside myself about my own behavior. Yeah. And I was so angry at how I had treated everybody what kind of a corner I had pushed myself into in this lifetime. That this was my way when you came over, when you see me as Josh, this is the best way I could illustrate my behavior. Very cool. He says, this was the way that is poetic for me to show you how I see myself. 
And I said, okay. I said, I appreciate your creative spirit. I love you. Because, well, they're hearing that the mom worked hard in her honesty and being up front. And now you actually get to hear that Josh worked hard. Yes. Yes. Finally, in some way for Cheryl, for Cheryl, instead of the life he lived for himself, purposely hurting Cheryl at every opportunity he could, and even going out of his way extraordinarily to create pain for her. So I said, okay, I'm going to take a pause and I'm going to pop back in and tell Cheryl everything that I can to see if it's all accurate. Josh, don't go anywhere because if this is right, I need to come back because she's going to have a lot of questions for you. So could you clean yourself up, put your head back on your shoulders for me? Reasonable request. Clean up your feet. I don't want to see the gun. I don't want I don't want any of that anymore. But thank you very much for that creative spirit. But clean up your act. And I pop back in and I say to Cheryl, Okay, Cheryl, I've got some stuff to tell you. Thank you for letting me be quiet and for letting me have five minutes of silence so that I can actually gather all of this information for you. And I'm purposely trying to say that, Kelly, for people to understand I needed a whole five minutes in a session that is lasting half an hour. And I'm supposed to be able to get all this information and do all of this healing and all of this work and accuracy and get it all done lickety split for somebody. So I won't repeat it, but I offered all of that information to Cheryl about what her mother said about their childhood, teenage life, and through her entire lifetime, Josh's behavior, and the fact that the real reason that he is sitting there not wanting to come through when she says, well, whoever you get, Karen, and I can't get anybody, I can't get Josh to come forward, is because in actuality, they weren't talking anymore. They had stopped communicating again. They were in the same pattern. And he's trying to make his point that, well, why would I come and talk to Cheryl? We weren't talking. And she didn't want to talk to me. I had pissed her off again. She had the right not to want to talk to me. And I'm surprised she even wants to talk to me. Except that now she wants answers from the dead person. So I explained it all to her. I explained exactly what her mom said and that her mom was the one that came through to answer everything because Josh was sitting there not speaking, but that this was the behavior and that at the end, before he passed away, this is exactly what the situation was between the two of them. And she said, yes. And I said, and Cheryl, he says that you want answers, but you're so mad at him, not just about how he treated you your whole life, But everything that's happened since you found out that he died. And she said, yes. And I said, so you're angry and you don't want to talk to him, but you want to know. And she goes, yes, that's right. That's that's exactly the way you could word it. And I said, well, that's why I kept asking you who you wanted. And she goes, oh, well, then I've made this really difficult for you, haven't I? 
And I said, yes, you have. But I said, but I understand because of your emotional state being in a constant state of confusion with Josh through your whole life, right to his death and even after his death, and that you're still stuck in patterns with him where you feel powerless because of his behaviors. And she goes, yes. Oh my God, yes. This is like therapy. But not if you're wondering. Right. Not therapy. We're not Just therapeutic. Yes. Yes, we must always be clear about those points. So she goes, do you think that I could just ask you questions and I don't care how you get the answer, dead Josh, spirit Josh, like his guides, my mother, my spirit guides, just whatever your resources are, could you just answer questions for me? That we do. Yeah. And I said, yes, I said, I would be happy. And if I can't get an answer, my policy is to say, I don't know. I don't get an answer. You can ask me why I don't get an answer. There might be a good reason. But I'm going to flat out say to you, if I don't know, I don't know. So off we went. So here are her questions. Why did he behave this way to me? Can you talk to me about the behaviors? And I said, yeah, I got a list. He says that when he didn't get his way, he whined. He sulked, he got quiet, he went out a lot, he did his own thing, he said he forgot, he stopped talking to you, he'd call and he'd badger you, he'd try and bully you, he did everything he could in an unhealthy way to get whatever he wanted, whether it's for you to not talk to him or for you to talk to him. Isn't that disgusting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, at all costs. And at all her cost, not at his cost, in the lifetime that, how do I word that, Kelly? That he could understand in this lifetime. Yeah, because this is one of the things that actually pushes him to suicide. When he realizes that it was at every cost in his own life as well. Yes. The corner that you talked about. Yes. And why he actually kills himself so violently. Because everything that he does is violence upon others. Whether it's emotional violence, whether it's that he, and I'm going to say this, he chooses to engage in sexual contact with her. I'm not saying he rapes her, but I'm still saying it's violent. And I hope that I'm wording that properly because it's violent because he doesn't actually care. So the emotional stuff that gets done to her is what I'm referring to as the violence. So that answers that question. Then she says, I have some more questions. Can you tell me if he was at the funeral? And I said, yes, he was at the funeral. And he says it was a shit show. And she goes, can you explain how? And I said, absolutely. You showed up and got sucker punched everywhere. And she goes, well, I'd like to know what you mean by sucker punched. And I said, sure. I said, you went to the funeral and everybody knew who you were. Everybody knew by your picture because he showed everybody pictures of his best friend, Cheryl. So you go there and people are walking up to you going, I know you're Cheryl. You're his best friend. And she's like, uh, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I am. So she's standing there in this level of discomfort and shame that 
everybody knows her, but she doesn't know who these people are. And she's like, and you are? And they look at her like, well, I'm his wife. And I'm his son. And she's like, Jesus, what? What do you mean? Well, I'm his first wife. First wife? So she finds out at his funeral that he has more than one wife, that he has children with more than one partner, and that he has had all these different lives, all of these different families and experiences, and that they all know about her. They all know that she's the best friend. But she doesn't know a damn thing about any of them. So she is shamed. She doesn't have a clue what to say to these people. She doesn't know how to explain that this is apparently her lifelong best friend and doesn't even know any of these very basic things about his life. Because he has kept it all hidden. He has kept it all from her. So she's bawling and says to me, why? And Josh's response to me is, because she knew the truths. I couldn't afford for anybody to ever meet her. I couldn't afford for anybody to actually confront any of the lies and crap I was saying to everyone. She knew all the truths about my behavior. I didn't want her to show up and tell two women that I had just had sex with her. I didn't want anyone to know this. So I made sure that everybody in my life knew about her because I could make up all these wonderful stories about her. So he fabricates so much. She is so totally even more confused And she thought she was already confused about everything that was going on in the relationship. I said, Cheryl, you have a question. You want to know why his death is so violent? And she goes, yeah, I do. And I said, well, I said, he says that the death is violent because it's a distraction for everybody at the funeral. It's drama. And she goes, are you kidding me? And I said, no, I said, he says that he makes an extremely dramatic ending because he's just caught into so many corners. He's not getting what he wants. It's his ultimate temper tantrum. And I said, it's a wonderful exit on his part because everybody at the funeral talked about the death, the actual shooting of himself, of how many times, of where it is. Nobody focuses on the relationships, the lies, and tries to solve the puzzles of who he is, the dishonesty. They stay focused on the cause of death. And even to the point where in the eulogy, everybody's talking about the cause of death. They're talking about a suicide. They're talking about mental health. They're talking about crossing over and being forgiven. They're talking about all of that instead of actually who he is. So it's a wildly magnificent distraction. And he thinks that he's done such a good job that it will be a distraction forever. That every time somebody brings up his name, it will be synonymous with the suicide and the shooting and how it got done. 
and how nobody can understand that piece. And if everybody stays focused on that drama, that's it. It's done. He doesn't have to deal. No one has to know anything else about him. So it was at this point that the very human Karen said to Josh, you're an asshole. And he goes, uh, yeah, I am. And I said, what do I, what do we do from here? I said, this is the ultimate manipulation I think I've ever heard that you even manipulate every single aspect of your life and all of these people, your mother, your family, your siblings, the wives, the children, your best friend, you've manipulated absolutely every single person. And then you even create your death so that you can manipulate people from the grave. And he goes, yeah, that's right. That's what I did. And I said, what, what can I possibly do to help Cheryl, even if it's a tiny drop towards her own picking up her life? And he says, you can tell her that I never loved her. You can tell her that I'm an asshole. You can tell her that I'm working through this and that I can come back at another time a little bit later because I've just crossed over. This is so fresh that I am figuring it out and that I am starting to feel regretful. I, the spirit guides are helping me. But if you start to say right now, only a week later, that I've gotten through all of this already, sh she won't be able to ever believe that. So you can just tell her today that I didn't love her because I wasn't even capable of it. It also hands her back her freedom yeah. to stop wondering. Yeah. Or to continue wondering. And this is the key reason she calls. One of the very biggest reasons is her question, Kelly. Did he ever love me? Does he still love me? And I said to her, no, he never did because he was never capable. Not just you, Cheryl. He couldn't love himself and he couldn't love anybody else. Not the wives and not the kids either. There's an incapability within him to get to any of this. And there was never any desire to even bother even finding any help in any way, shape or form. So it's a big, big no. And she goes, okay. She goes, my, my, but my head is spinning. And I said, yeah, it should be. And I hope that it spins round and round in circles till you finally realize that some of these wonderful men in your life really did love you and that he didn't. So that you really know what healthy and unhealthy look like now. Make it really clear. Get out a good chart. Get out two pieces of paper. White paper and write down fucked up and write down healthy. And make sure that you put his picture on fucked up and you know exactly what it looks like. So that you are never going to run into that again and think it's healthy. And then for the men who really did come along and teach you that being respected by them is a form of love, that telling the truth is love so that you will know going forward what it actually looks and feels like. Clean it up. And she goes, okay. I said, so this is homework. You've got a little bit of homework here. He's got homework on the other side. Let him go do his own. You go do yours. She goes, well, that kind of sounds like the way that we lived our lives, each doing different things and then coming back. 
And I said, yeah, but this might be the first time where you come back together and it's going to both be healthy. That's my story. That's tough. It's tough, but I think it is such a critical story because oh, yeah. so many people live in this drama cycle mm-hmm. and still ask the same question as Cheryl. Oh, Owen and Teddy. Yeah. Into my Gray's plug right there. Yes. Does he love me? Did he love me? Does he still love me? Does he think of me? Or she? So many people are locked into that, that her story, as dramatic as the ending is and painful, might be something where people say, hmm, well, that's not me, slurp coffee. That's not me. Nobody killed themselves. Nobody shot themselves. This is Karen is being dramatic. No, some people still go to their death. It might not be shooting, might not be suicide. Some people stay married or stay in the relationships. Doesn't look quite that ugly, but it is. And that's the point. It's harder to see it when it's not as blatant, when it's not as violent. And I think it's worth sharing. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate it too, Cal. Um, I, I really, I think I'd like to close this show by saying that I thanked Cheryl. I thanked Josh for telling me all of this. Mm-hmm. I thanked him for being true to who he was so that I could really understand it. So that I could really actually fully grasp what he did to Cheryl. Because Cheryl now has at least one witness. So when we finished the session, I said that to her. I said, Cheryl, I hope that you understand that you have a witness and it's Karen Sarlow. Mm-hmm. So that she knows she's not crazy. Mm-hmm. To the truth of everything that he did. So that as you're meeting all these other people at the funeral and as you're talking to all of these other different people now, whether you get to know his kids or not, whether you get to know his ex-wives and his current wife or not, no matter what choices you make, that you have a real witness to what he did and how he treated you. Because they're going to have a different version of who he is than you. And that may make you feel confused over and over again. And so I hope what today's session did, because she also recorded it. I hope that if you go forward and meet these people and go into this, that you'll go back and listen to the recording to know who he was to you. So it's extremely clear. It's a beautiful gift. Yeah, I think so. And and I say that because I think her mom gave her the gift. Mm-hmm. And Josh ultimately finally gave her one thing good. Good. Mm-hmm. So if you have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at com. Otherwise, have a beautiful weekend.